Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for January 20th, 2019. Each Sunday during this season of Epiphany, we will hear a personal reflection from Russ Dean and a homily from Amy Jacks Dean. Today, Russ speaks about God always does everything God can do. And Amy's homily is called Be Like God, Do Everything You Can Do. One day at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, my understanding of God, the very nature of God, was challenged. In a lightning bolt moment, the nature of divinity was stripped of its all-encompassing power that I had once defended so adamantly. While the challenge was real, a crisis in the making, another crisis in the making for me, my conviction was renewed in time and God was actually reborn for me. And faith sprouted a new and beautiful meaning in the place where I had known confusion and fear and doubt. And that God, Even a God denuded of the brute force I had once equated with the very name, that God has become more powerful. I begin my book, The Power of the God Who Can't, with these words as I reflect on that experience that changed my understanding. Put on your seatbelt. God is not omnipotent. There, I've said it. If that first sentence hasn't scared you away or offended your spiritual senses, what you will find in this book is my attempt to tell you what that unorthodox declaration means to me and how I have come to be able to say it, even comfortably enough to make it part of the repertoire of my public preaching and teaching. I will try to tell you why the statement, God always does everything God can do, has deepened my faith. And I will try to offer something akin to an old-fashioned testimony, an apologetic for the God in whom I now place my trust, who is, I believe, more credible to a sophisticated 21st century world, more capable of touching people's real lives in real ways, and more powerful. Yes, the God who can't is more powerful. This book is a pastor's reflection, not an academic thesis. These chapters chart the journey that began one day in a classroom in Norton Hall on the campus of Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Dr. Frank Tupper, lecturing in systematic theology, spoke the words too nonchalantly for a room filled with conservative preacher boys. When Dr. Tupper said, God always does everything God can do, and said it so easily, everything God can do? A little bit of the air went out of the room. Someone questioned his theology, and maybe they questioned his judgment. Maybe they even questioned the integrity of his faith, but an engaged dialogue ensued. It is a dialogue that has never left me. For many years, I wrestled with his words and with Dr. Tupper's impotent God. I wrestled with this God who can't until I became a pastor. In that setting, In this setting, uh, given the privilege and responsibility of preaching, of speaking honestly to real people who were living real lives and dealing with real struggles and disappointments, challenges and journeys, 
so many of the platitudes of faith, which just seem to be part of the southern air we breathe, so many of those platitudes just felt hollow. I simply could not stand in my pulpit and offer trite cliches, feed my people on a diet of the God who can, but mostly just does not. My commitment to speak a realistic word based on the God I understand through the life of Jesus my commitment to speak that word to real people living real lives led me back to Dr. Tupper's classroom. And through, the, through this pulpit discipline, I have come to claim his conviction as my own. There are some things God cannot do. Any friend who could, would. Any parent who could, would. Surely a God who could, would also. Now, I have said this enough times that I no longer consider my theology radical, hardly even controversial. Some of you have heard me say it enough times that it's just old hat for you, but if you're, if you're new to Park Road or if you just walked in today and just about fell out of the pew because you thought this was, you know, a Baptist church, <laughs> let me say to you two things, and I'm going to throw away the rest of my manuscript and I want to just say two things to you. I can talk to you plenty about this. I've got one chapter here about it and one whole book here about it, okay? But here's how I came to that understanding. Number one, I believe in God. I probably believe in God more now than I ever had, or God is more important to me now than God ever has been. I believe God is real. I think God is the realest thing in all of the world. I think God is the heart of our reality. I think God is active and always at work. Uh, when Amy and I moved to Birmingham, we bought a house and we were shocked by the prices of the homes in Birmingham. And we had to look at a lot of houses before we could finally find one that we could afford. And the realtor said to us when we got to this house, oh, this would be a great house to buy because you know, it's the cheapest house in the neighborhood. So it's got a lot of potential. I learned to hate the word potential. Because I worked on the potential of that house for about four years, and it drove me crazy working on the potential of that house. What I believe is that God has no potential. I believe God is all God is all the time. It's not as if God can do more tomorrow than God did today. Sometimes I hear people say, oh, we need God to get down here and do something. And what I think is that God is already doing everything God can do because God never withholds what God is. God is. Probably the deepest thing I can say about God is that God is. And I think because God is, God is always what God is. And I think God is love. Uh, Dr. Tupper, who says God always does everything God can do, was not writing his theology as some ivory tower um, academic. He wasn't just sitting up there reading uh, deep academic books. Frank Tupper was the father of two young children. And when he said these words to me, his wife had already been diagnosed with breast cancer and she died. Dr. Tupper was writing his theology of a God who can't, of a God who can't, in the face of two young children who were left without a mother. 
Because when she died, Frank Tupper just could not bring it to himself to say, my children weren't faithful enough or weren't good enough or didn't deserve enough from God or I hadn't prayed enough. And so Dr. Tupper was writing his theology of what God can and can't do in the crucible of real life. In my book, I, I, I give a hypothetical. Let's say today that I learned I had cancer. Would I want my parents to be all-powerful and to be able to heal my cancer? Well, of course I would, right? Now, that's the easy answer. Let's think about that a little more because I have a brother and a sister. Let's assume that Adair and Philip both got cancer also, and let's assume that my parents healed me but not my brother and sister. Or let's assume that my parents, that, that my parents healed my brother and sister but chose not to heal me. That's what we say of God, isn't it? God chooses whom to heal, and we can't ask any questions because we're not God. What I think about my parents is that my parents do not have all power, and I would not give it to them. What I know is that if I got cancer today, my parents would do everything they could do. They would call me, and they would visit me, and they would bring food, and they would ask Amy what they could do, and they would send out the prayer chain to their church, and they would look online, and they would do, you know, Dr. MD, and everything my parents could do, they would do, because they love me. And when I think about what I would rather have, parents who could do everything, or parents who could love me, it's an easy choice. Which leads me to the second thing that I believe, and I believe theological language is all human. Now, I believe in the Bible, I believe in the inspiration of the Bible, and I believe a lot of our doctrines come from the Bible, but all of that has to be interpreted through human intellect and human knowledge and human experience. So when it comes down to it, what we say about God and the church and the Holy Spirit and Jesus and all of that doctrinal stuff is ours. It's our language. And I think we owe it to ourselves to use the best of our knowledge today to speak the best we can about God. And what I think is that the world is different than the world was when the Bible was written. Science is different than it was two or 3,000 years ago. We know more about the world and about human beings. We know so much more. And I believe we deserve, we, we owe it to ourselves, and I believe we owe it to God to use the very best of our intellect and our knowledge to cast our understandings of God in words that make sense in the world as we know it and in our own experience. I hear people say all the time, oh, God is in control. And I think, not what it looks like to me. That's not what I've experienced. Is it what you've experienced? And we can say, oh, God's in control because that's one of those things that the church says. But you know, there are a lot of people that don't see that and don't feel that and don't understand that from their own scientific understanding and from their own personal experience. And so I've come to believe that human language and theological language is ours. And if I have to make a choice between the language that says God can do anything, anytime, anywhere God wants to, 
But then I have to explain why God didn't stop the Holocaust or the genocides or end racism or just heal my mama. If that's one choice I can make, uh, the other choice I can make is to say, no matter what comes, God is with me and God is always doing everything that God can do because God is love. I'll make that choice every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Who'll be a witness for my Lord? 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 Sermon titles are really important and really difficult because I have to pick the title before I write the sermon so that it's ready to post in the bulletin. And you might suggest, well, why don't you write your sermon before the bulletin is printed? And then you would be ahead of the game. And that sounds great in theory, but it does not work for me. Today's sermon title does still work for me, but I wonder if instead of be like God, do everything you can do, if I should have titled it, Mary does it again. Having spent the entire Advent season with Mary, you'd think we might give her a little break. But for me, she is the standout in this story. Were it not for Mary, we wouldn't have a miracle to tell you about today. She doesn't seem to be the mother of the bride or the groom, though it is clearly a family wedding. Perhaps she was the local wedding planner, who knows? But somehow she finds herself as the one in charge of keeping the guests happy. Maybe she was just a good Southern woman. It was a week-long event, which seems a bit overboard for a wedding, don't you think? Except that's basically how it's done these days. Just wait. Looks like we've gone back to a biblical model of wedding planning. Most weddings these days are at least three-day events with a big rehearsal and dinner party, and then the wedding and the reception is way more important than the wedding and then it's followed by a third day brunch to feed the out-of-town guests before they go home. And usually, y'all, this still blows my mind, but usually the bride and groom even show up the day after. That is just not how it was done 33 years ago, I'm telling you. <laughs> well, someone has to be in charge to make sure that the food and the beverage does not run out. And in Cana of Galilee, that must have been Mary's job. No doubt, Jesus gets a shout-out for the whole water-to-wine deal. And note, this water-to-wine label was the best of the weekend, when usually by the end of the party you could serve the cheap, straight-out-of-the-box, bottom-shelf stuff. The last, this time, was the best. That is such a Jesus move. So giving credit where credit is due, Jesus lent his presence, accompanied by his power, to the occasion. But let's be honest. Had it not been for Mary noticing, 
mentioning and insisting the wedding party would have ended early and the guests would have all left talking about the unprepared and cheap hosts. It all seems a bit frivolous, doesn't it? It's just a wedding, an after party. It's not like this is a scene where racial justice or gender equality or care for the poor is being discussed. It's just a wedding. So what? The wine ran out. Why not save the parents a little money and call it a night? Or why not put all the money that goes into weddings and do something much more needed with it? Wouldn't that have been more of a Jesus move in the first place? Except, one lesson to be learned here is to do, to always do everything you can do. Wherever you are, with whomever you are around, always do everything you can do to bring wholeness and happiness and abundance and healing. Always do everything you can do to show extravagant grace. Always do everything you can do to bring joy. Always do everything you can do to offer blessing. That's what this story is about. That's the sign wholeness and happiness and healing and abundance and grace and joy and blessing. And Mary was the instigator. She did everything that she could do to make it happen. I'm fairly convinced Jesus wouldn't have even noticed the whole wine fiasco. So she did everything she could do so that he could do everything that he could do. And the party lasted well into the night, I'm sure, because everyone was doing everything they could do. How often do we do that? How often do we do everything we can do? Not often enough. At the recommendation of Aaron Rumble, I read Austin Channing Brown's book, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. Then I went to hear her speak this week at an event that was hosted by Myers Park United Methodist Church. The book was a tough read, at least for this white woman. This white woman who really wants racial justice. I want it as much as I want gender equality. We saw on the basis of sex last night, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's story. It is a must-see, but that's another topic. Anyway, here's the opening line of, Channing Brown, of Austin Channing Brown's book, I'm Still Here. White people can be exhausting. You know, after that, it's kind of hard to keep reading. But by the end of her book, I was exhausted with myself. Read it.
It's an important read, especially for white people. One of the comments about her book says, in a time when nearly all institutions, schools, churches, universities, businesses claim to value diversity in their mission statements, I'm Still Here is a powerful account of how and why our actions so often fall short of our words. Her talk and her Q&A this past Monday night was most enlightening. When an older white woman, obviously a member at Myers Park Methodist, asked her about how their church could be more racially diverse, the author responded, white people really exhaust me. And then she went on to say, I don't really care about that anymore. I don't really care about the racial diversity in your church. I want to know how your predominantly white church is working for racial justice in your city. How would I know, she said, how would I know that racial justice is important to your church other than the fact that your pastor speaks about it? That was like a punch in my gut. I had been convicted right there on the spot because let's face it, we are not doing all we can do for racial justice. I'm not even saying all I want to say about it. And you name the issue. We are not doing all we can do for any of those issues. Because all of those issues are not issues. They are people, real, live people. And our job is to bring wholeness and happiness and healing and abundance and grace and joy and blessing to people of all races and every gender and every sexual orientation and every socioeconomic type. That was the miracle at the wedding at Cana. It had absolutely nothing to do with water and wine. The miracle was that everyone was trying to be like God, doing everything they could do. Who'll be a witness for my Lord? Who'll be a witness for my Lord? Who'll be a witness for my Lord? Who will be a witness for my Lord? May it be so. Amen. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. 
Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.